The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's July 14th, 2019, and other than being Bastille Day in France, Nicholas, do you know what today is? Tell me. Tell the people what today is. Today is the 100th straight episode of the Steelers Outpost Podcast. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. We are lucky to have Pete Butch back for reprise from his popular appearance during our beach episode two weeks ago. But first, we want to just bask in the glory that is 100 straight episodes. This started as a very um, as a side project. Passion I, project. Passion project. I think without doubt, you and I will be watching the Steelers forever, whether we have the podcast or not. But the fact that so many people listen now and have, have participated with us has made this just sheer joy. It's the best. It's awesome. We, you know, I think a lot of people use this catchphrase or this, um, I don't know if it's a cliche or not, but they use this description for why they started podcasts and all different kinds of mediums, but it's these conversations were happening either way. So we might as well record them. And I definitely think we've come a long way since episode one. And for all of you guys who listen, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting it. This really is just the beginning though. We have a lot planned even for the rest of the summer and then especially going into next year. And our hosts, our podcast company, Armchair Media, also the Armchair All-Americans, they have some very big things uh, cooking in the kitchen now. So we really are just at the beginning and uh, stick with us because it's only going to get better from here. Speaking of our audience and, and people who participated, Mark from NoCal responded to the conversation we had with the uh, week before last about rules we'd like to see changed in the, in the NFL. Oh, yeah. And he, this was very interesting. It was totally off my radar screen, I guess, just because it's not being talked about anymore. But he said, I'd love to see uh, the quarterback slide rule go. And he said, uh, I'll just read, if you take off running with the football past the line of scrimmage, you're running back. Some QBs use that rule to their advantage and fake like they're going to slide just to get a couple extra yards. Yards, And the defensive players can get an injury going from 100% speed to zero while the quarterback should be feeling the wrath of the defense if they decide to run with the ball. I take the point. I mean, a quarterback's going to pay if he tries to, if, if the assumption is the quarterback's angling for the sideline. And I guess basically the defender guides him there gently, like bringing a jet into the, the parking space, but the quarterback decides to cut back. He's still kind of safe, isn't he? 
Yeah, that's such a lame move if a quarterback does that. There have been guys who have tried to basically bait defensive players by feigning like they're going to go out of bounds and then they cut back in field. Jimmy Garoppolo actually tried that last year and popped his shoulder out of his body and missed the entire year. So you could say karma got him or the defense got him. But either way, there sort of is this unwritten rule um, with quarterbacks before they slide or um, before they go out of bounds. You know, if the defense is going to protect them, the the quarterback traditionally does not try to get those extra yards. I'm kind of with Mark. If he does abuse that trust from the defensive players and he does try to get the extra yards, then he deserves to get popped like anybody else. But obviously the NFL needs to protect the the marquee investments because we don't want to see a whole season of, you know, some third string guy because quarterbacks are getting destroyed left and right. But quarterbacks should not be abusing that rule. I totally agree. That's such a lame move. Well, look, I mean, uh, I, I take your point. This is a business decision to protect the quarterbacks. Yeah. But do, do you get to use that play? I mean, you're having it both ways. We get to use this special play. They can't touch our quarterback. And we, we're going to let him sneak out. And you know, he's going to roll out and, and run to the sideline. And they, I mean, I take his point. Once you cross the line of scrimmage, aren't you a running back? That's true. And, and, and if, if quarterbacks weren't allowed to slide, it wouldn't just affect – the running plays in which quarterbacks are running around, it would affect the quarterback's mindset before he runs. So it would discourage some players from running because they know that they can get popped and maybe they'd have to throw a few more balls away, which would result in wins for the defense on that play. So it is an interesting thing to think about. It's definitely one of the rules the NFL has put in to, to blatantly protect the quarterback because we do want these guys playing. And I tend not to have a problem with it. I, I agree with them. I do want the quarterbacks to keep playing i don't want people to get injured like that but i also agree with mark that you know if you're trying to trick the defensive player into thinking that you're going to slide or keeps running that's not cool and you should be hit with all the force of a thousand nations thanks mark keep them coming that was that's good insight that's true one of the things so we were thinking about a way to to just look back on the last two years of, of things that have happened with the steelers during the time we did this podcast and interestingly just a little arcania we did have this podcast going for, what do you think, six months before we went, you know, put it on the internet? Yeah, we had a preseason, Inter- if you will. Yeah, just trying out some different formats. But this was your idea that we come up with our favorite plays during the, our two-year history of podcasting. Yeah, and I went back I, – I actually went back game by game, and I only got through 2017, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> but I do have a pull, a pull I pulled – I had a few that I pulled out. Sure. Yeah. I just uh, wanted to take a quick second to look at our favorite memories, the best memories of the high points over the past two years or the low points Steelers wise, whether that's a, a particular play or a particular game or even some off the field type of stuff, if, if that happened to be the case. But uh, I think it's kind of cool that I, I wanted to keep it within the last two years because that's how long the podcast has been live. But it's sort of interesting to to group Steelers history into 2017 and 18 because it's kind of an odd pairing, right? Like 2018 is sort of the end of the Killer Bees era, but we think of this era, in my opinion, as starting kind of in 2015, Le'Veon Bell's second year when the offensive line got its stuff together. Bell was a star by game one. You know, AB was already the premier receiver in the NFL, and the Steelers were off to the races, off and running. And you sort of think of it, 
or I do, I think of this era in one way as 2015 until right now, now that Bell and Brown and those guys are gone. But I think it's kind of interesting to look at it the past two years where Steelers didn't make the playoffs and then obviously had some disappointment in the year prior. So what did you find? What, what would you put up onto the memory board here? Now, this is not top 10 or anything like that. I think out of the gate, our very first podcast of a, of a regular season game was against the Cleveland Browns. And the play that I pulled out, which was just a fun play where uh, it was Cleveland fourth and 19 from their own 16. It was almost at the end of the first quarter when they were hunting. It was the beginning. And the, it was the third play of the game, right? It was the third play of the game. Wow. They, uh, 1244 in the first is what I have here. The dirty red blocked the punt and Anthony Chicolo recovered it for a touchdown in the end zone. That's a really good pick. I didn't think of that one. I was thinking of some higher profile ones, but I remember that. Yeah, they, the Browns were the super Browns at that time. It was Deshaun Kaiser. Hugh Jackson was there. I think they had lost every game the year prior except for the one, and they would go on that season to lose, I guess, every game. And But there was some hype about them because, you know, even everybody has hope. <laughs> even the Deshaun Kaiser-led Browns at that time had some hope. And the season opens up. Steelers kick off to the Browns. Browns go three and out as usual, then get the punt blocked in their own end zone, and the Steelers score a defensive, well, special teams touchdown, I guess, on the first play of the, like, you know, not even three minutes into the season. That was a good way to start. So the, uh, I'll just go through a couple of these. And as I said, I went through every game and just looked for some highlights. This was our game against Kansas City. Steelers won 19 to 13. I don't know if you recall that. Of course you do. You probably remember when the water boy came out to the huddle. I do. Anyway, the scene was third and, third and two at Pittsburgh's 49. There was three minutes and 34 seconds left in the game. Let me see if I can get the score at that point. Uh, it was 12-10 Steelers. And A.B. lines up. Am I allowed to yeah. talk about a play that yeah. he was in? Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, he's a big part of all these these great memories and, and the bad ones. Martavis was, was lined out wide. AB was in the slot, and uh, when the ball snapped, AB runs under Martavis, and Ben throws that uh, pass to, to AB on the sideline, and Kendall Fuller tipped it. AB picked it, and Daniel Sorensen just like flew by. I mean, they had two guys on AB, and he ended up running uh, running the ball in for a 51 yard touchdown. The thing that was amazing about that was Ben actually he had been playing well that game. It had been a rough start to the season for the Steelers. I think the, the Chiefs were either undefeated or one loss, and they, I think they had beat the Patriots already. That was that long Kareem Hunt touchdown in the first week where the everyone thought the sky was falling on the Patriots. But Ben threw it right to Kendall Fuller, and it went right through his hands, and A.B. was right behind Fuller, and Sorensen was on the other side of A.B. So A.B. was squished in between two Kansas City defenders. The ball gets tipped about a foot in front of A.B.'s face. He catches it with one hand, dips past Sorensen and runs for a 50-yard touchdown. It's so hard to catch a ball that gets tipped close to you because it's coming really fast and the trajectory changes. So nobody can, you know, even the best people in the world can't catch those. And, of course, he catches it with one hand and, oh, yeah, then houses it. I'm going to say B. <laughs> We fast forward a few weeks to October 29th, the game against the Detroit Lions. And yeah. I don't know if you remember that. That was kind of a dogfight. Boswell yeah. had kicked a field goal in the third quarter to take us up 13 to 12. And with, uh, let me just get my note. On, our own, three yard li- on our own three-yard line. 
Correct. Three minutes, 15 seconds left in the third quarter. Ben to Juju up the middle of the field, hits him 27 yards out, and Juju continues to jet, for, if you call that, jetting for 70 yards, outrunning three guys. You remember him running down the middle of the field almost until like the 10, just like outrunning these guys behind for him. the touchdown. Looking behind yeah, him. While he's looking behind him. Because he doesn't look that fast, and that was Juju's first long touchdown, and we kind of thought that would be a one-off, but then since then he's had two more of those. But Juju, you know, A.B., when he was younger in his career, he would have these long touchdowns, and he was a great kick returner, punt returner, so it sort of made sense. When he got the ball in the open field, you knew he would be gone. Martavis, Sammy Coates even, Mike Wallace, those guys, when they got the ball in the open field, it was clear that they were jetting towards the end zone. Juju has more like a Heinz Ward type speed, which is functional. He's faster than he looks, but you, you thought for sure he was going to get caught on that play. But somehow he just finds a way to duck and weave his way into the end zone with his chest kind of puffed out in the air. He's, he's basically arching his back just so the guys can't get him. And he gets all the way in the end zone and runs onto the sideline and locks up the training bike because that was the week when Juju's bike got stolen. And that's kind of when the legend of Juju was born. Because the bike thing took on a mind of its own. So that was huge for social media. Then you cap it off with, I believe, the longest Steelers passing touchdown in history. And then locks it up with the celebration. And from that point on, the Steelers offense, which had stalled up to that point in the season, the Steelers offense kind of unleashed legitimately right after that touchdown. And it sort of turned that season around. Right. And I I don't want to – I'll just throw out two more things because I could go on forever. But the one uh, sort of – Lynn Swanish kind of catch even better than Lynn Swan. But when we were playing the, the Titans and it was a tight, it was a, ended up the Steelers won 40 to 17, but that was a, you know, it was again, a very close game. Um, The Steelers scored two touchdowns within three minutes, but the second touchdown they scored was a 10 yard pass to to AB where he caught it left-handed against his helmet yeah. in the end zone. Well, that one was not a close game. It, it start, it, that was just an absolute demolition of a, of a Titans team that was really hot coming in, and they did score early, and I think they did have a, a 60-yard touchdown pass, which was a theme for the Steelers' defense at that time. But, yeah, that catch by A.B. in the corner of the end zone against his helmet, it's constantly replayed on all the NFL cut-ups. I believe uh, A.B. had three touchdowns that game, and uh, the first one was really nice. That was the game when they used the sky cam that was behind the quarterback. And the uh, Steelers were wearing the color rush jerseys, which, which have proved to be a sign of good things for three years in a row. Um, they won that game in big fashion after struggling before it. They beat the Patriots in them in those uniforms. And then another game I might be talking about soon here. But um, I, you and I loved the camera. <laughs> the general public hated yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I don't know why they would. You get to see everything. By the way, the game was closer than you think because it was 16-14 at the beginning of the third quarter, Steelers. The Steelers scored 17 Ooh, points okay. in the last quarter. So I don't know if the game felt in hand or out hand, but you're right. AB had a 41-yard touchdown pass from Ben to open the game. Uh, but anyway, just the, the style, the, the way he caught that ball was magnificent. Was and uh, please bring Incredible. back the end zone camera. Yeah, and the last sure. thing I'll mention because – I have high hopes for him this year was Boz's the um, 53 yard field goal. He made with four seconds left against the Packers to win 31 to 38. And another, what that brings up is the memory of, I don't know if it was fourth and 19 or third and whatever, third and long, the incredible pass from Ben to AB to set up that game winning field goal. And you brought this up the other day when we sort of uh, 
just did a quick little loose outline for our ideas for the podcast. But, you know, Boz's fall from grace has been pretty terrible, but people forget how unbelievable that season was for him. It was the best season I had seen from a kicker at least in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if there's been many other kickers in NFL history who had like the number of game-winning kicks game as winners, time expired. Right. Yeah, and then – In a row. It was the Packers, Bengals, and Ravens three weeks in a row where he kicked a field goal at the end of the game to win. He did it against the Colts as well. And you know what's interesting about all of those field goals, at least three of them, they were all set up, of course, by a miracle throw and catch from Ben to A.B., Every time it wasn't like, oh, Ben hit, hit uh, Jesse James. No, it was always Ben to AB on usually on third and long. They did it. It was a catch and run for about 40 yards against the, the Indianapolis Colts. In that first game you were talking about against the Browns, it was that unreal catch into triple coverage um, near midfield um, against the Browns, against the Packers. It was legitimately AB, one of his best catches of his career. It looked just like a normal toe toe drag swag situation where he dragged his toes on the sideline. But when you see it in slow motion, I mean, most people thought that he didn't catch it in real time, but it was just one of the most incredible toe drags. And it was crazy to see Boswell and Antonio Brown as a receiver have so many plays in one year to win the game in like the last 60 seconds of a game. It was sort of a serendipitous coming together of events for him. It reminded me of JJ Watts, um, great like 2015 season or whatever it was where I thought he should have won the MVP over Rogers because he had like five touchdowns like three of them were on defense he caught two touchdowns on offense he had just these crazy numbers which was like JJ is a great player but one of the best ever but like things really came together for him that year and I thought that that was true of uh, AB and Boz during that 2017 season yeah yeah well, look, I, like I said, I could go on. I, I, I looked at a lot of games. Why don't you, uh, why don't you talk about some of the things yeah, that highlight? Those were great. I'll give you one. Notice that we're doing a lot of 2017, right? 2018 was a painful year. But <laughs> for me, this is sincerely – this is probably my favorite memory. This was the happiest that was as a Steelers fan since the Santonio Holmes catch in that Super Bowl, and it's the Immaculate Extension. It's Ben to AB, surprise, surprise – stretching across the goal line on Christmas day as time was expiring, no timeouts left to win the game against the Ravens, which won the AFC North and sent the Steelers to the playoffs, knocking the Ravens out of the playoffs in the process and just a sheer testament to the will of those two warriors you know he was going to a b no matter what on that play they hurried up to the line of scrimmage with 12 seconds left instead of calling a timeout and he just predetermined that he was throwing to a b because a b kind of ran a flat slant or like a little drag route and he should not have been open but he found his way in there ben threaded the needle and AB gets stood up at the goal line and it looked like the Americans putting the flag in the ground at the moon while some aliens were trying to take them off of their intergalactic territory or it's some, some sort of other you know analogy that I could get. But that picture of AB with Eric Weddle and two of the Ravens hanging on him, dragging him backwards and Brown has his arms stretched out over the goal line is such an iconic picture and the explosion of emotion I felt at that touchdown was incredible. You really felt like the Steelers were going to roll their way. They felt like Super Bowl bound at that moment. 
And not only was it such a it was just such an impressive individual play. It was to win a game. It was to win a game against the hated Ravens, right? When you thought that the rivalry might be waning a little bit, a lot of the mainstay players were not playing in the game anymore, but it turned out to be an incredible game, and they both turned out to be very good teams. So once again, Steelers-Ravens isn't dying. It was on Christmas Day, and it was, of course, Ben to AB, the, the buddy cop film we loved for so many years. And... It was also to cap off a huge comeback. The Steelers and Ben were playing kind of terribly. Well, they, they started out hot on the first drive and then really played poorly. And Ben actually threw an interception in the fourth quarter where we basically thought the game was over. And somehow, I mean, he rallied, uh, and especially with, with AB, who had been held in check mostly that game um, after, you know, that, that magnificent year he was having uh, to, to, to come back. And to win that game like that, that was my favorite and just the most photo photogenic uh, Steelers moment in a long time. Yeah, I guess we could go on and on, and maybe maybe we could. And it would be great if uh, people sent in their ideas about best plays, best players, best memories over the last two years, and uh, we can extend our conversation next week. Yeah, hit us up. Let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Instagram. Let us know what your favorite memories are. Those are just some of them. There are a lot of great memories, of course. Yeah, of course. And I know. We, I think we did them all in 2017. So maybe I should think of what I want. I mean, Juju mossing Jalen Ramsey on the game-winning drive uh, against the Jaguars this year, and then Ben running that in. The satisfaction we got of winning that Jaguars game against those that hated team in a game that we should not have won. That was awesome. That was very satisfying. Um, Speaking of Juju, the Devontae's perfect hit. That spectacular yeah, memory. Spectacular again, 2017. But um, yeah, so many. So let us know what you guys think. I was going to do the worst memories too, but let's end it on a high note. I think we can all agree. Oh, you know what? Actually, I was going to say this. Um, well, side note: worst memory is the Jaguars loss. That's the worst loss I've felt. Yeah. As a, as a Steelers fan in a long time, probably since that 2001 AFC Championship game where Bledsoe beat the Steelers, where the Steelers really should have won the Super Bowl that year. But that Jaguars game was so painful because, you know, they 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 crushed us in that regular season, been through the five picks. They were saying he's washed up. They talked a ton of trash. And uh, we went down 21-0 to start the game in the playoffs. You just couldn't believe it was happening again. And then, you know, the defense was worthless at that time without Ryan Shazier. And so you really could only count on the killer bees and they had their finest hour really against the Jaguars. And I guess that proved to be the last time they played together, but Ben AB and Le'Veon Bell were beyond spectacular. AB goes for 160 and two touchdowns on a, like a sprained ankle. Ben, if you count the, the freaking lateral touchdown he threw to, to, to Le'Veon Bell, basically threw for 500 yards and six touchdowns against one of the great defenses at the time. And obviously Le'Veon was incredible and, for them to lose like that uh, was so painful. But, hey, at least they got a little revenge last year. Okay, and the last of the last of the last things that I'm going to say here, my real favorite memory was the incredible touchdown pass to Jesse James to beat the Patriots be- before it got overturned because that feeling was amazing after they went all the way down the field to score on the Steelers. And it's like, well, you got like 42 seconds to do something. I don't know what you're going to do. Passes it to Juju who runs 60 yards, gets down to the 10 or whatever it is, throws it to Jesse James. And we're finally going to beat the Patriots in the most glorious fashion ever. 
And then the, what happens next, I guess, would fall under the category of the worst memories. So like I mentioned, we are lucky enough to have P. Butch on the show today. So we're going to transition to that session right now. As promised, P. Butch has entered the show. Um, he was with us two weeks ago when we were at the beach, and uh, we got a big spike in, in listenership at that point. So we thought uh, we'd bring him right, right back. Hey, Pat, how you doing? Doing well. Good to be back, guys. The uh, I'm a little late, and I apologize. The front of tire of my bike got stolen. And oddly enough, they replaced it with another tire. So should I be thankful that I guess my bike – has a different deflated tire in front? I don't know. They replaced it with a deflated tire. They just like yeah. you had the uh, you had the mongoose specials, and they gave you the old. What's the bike from the Sandlot? What's the bike that everybody likes from that age? I don't know, but yeah. So I guess they took the time to steal the tire, but then they also took the time to give me a new deflated tire. So uh, they thought that there was enough time right. to make this crime. <laughs> And give you reparations. That's uh, that's crazy. Even Juju didn't experience that. Uh, well, at least I didn't get all my jewelry stolen like Le'Veon. True that, but screw him. Anyways, after <laughs> Juju's bike got stolen, things really looked up for him. He was scoring touchdowns left and right. So I'm actually going to take this as a good omen for you. Maybe I'll be catching balls from Ben in about three months. Well, no offense, but hopefully not. For <laughs> Something's gone very, very wrong if that's the case. I, mean, I know you can catch and run, but uh, we just lost a really good guy on the outside. We're going yeah. Anyways. So, interesting story that this week, somebody else wants to get paid, and we are having maybe some deja vu of Le'Veon Bell. Mel- Melvin Gordon, running back on the Chargers, is up for a new contract or a year away from a new contractor. He wants to stay with the Chargers, but. He uh, has seen the previous contracts, and he is looking to be paid commensurate with those previous running backs, like Bell, Gurley, and right. Johnson. So a, a couple of things here is he actually came out after the story was dropped. He came out the, pretty much a day later and said that he's not going to report until he gets paid. So he's basically threatening to do a Le'Veon Bell situation. He didn't say explicitly that he was going to sit out an entire season like Le'Veon did, but he insinuated that unless he gets paid, he's not going to be there. And in addition to that, he wants to be paid like Bell, Gurley, and Johnson, all the top running backs in the league, which, by the way, I think, I mean, that's ridiculous in its own right. Melvin Gordon is really good. A lot of people don't know about Melvin Gordon because he plays for the Chargers and they don't have any fans and they're on the West Coast, and they have no city, and they're men without a country. And he came in with Todd Gurley. Remember the, that they were supposed to be this great running back draft class, and he just got off to a slow start, so people forgot about him with how good Gurley got. But he's a great running back, easily a top 10 running back, but not quite like Bell, Gurley, or Johnson. Yeah, I think he, you know, or uh, Barkley, you know, and I uh, – you just look at the the Steelers of this past year and um, – you know, I remember you saying always that Le'Veon Bell was the most important player on your offense. Right. And, uh, you know, you look at this year, and I'm sure your offense would have been better with him, but the there wasn't a massive step back when you took away Bell and you put in Connor. Right? Like your your offense right. maybe not have been top three, but maybe it was top eight. Or like I don't know how you, ever, you would uh, put the stats there. And, you know, I just don't know. Like Saquon Barkley, worth a lot of money. Melvin Gordon, great running back not going to change like you can plug someone in i think get 
uh, like almost equal production. For sure. It's sure. And, and it's like, you can get the almost equal production at an, at a fraction of the cost. And we're a broken record here because we've, we've talked about this a lot with Le'Veon, but what's cool is now we have a whole other year of data because we were talking about this during the season with Le'Veon, but we were especially talking about this last offseason when the expectation was they were either going to sign Le'Veon or, or lose Le'Veon or, or get franchised or whatever it is. So now you have a whole other season. And you look at all the guys who got paid the most. So Bell was out of football for a year. We don't know how he's going to do with the Jets. For your sake, we... We hope he he does okay. We hope he doesn't do bad. But um, you look at David Johnson. He lost an entire year after he got paid. And then the year he came back um, was last year. Fully healthy. But the Cardinals sucked. They had no talent around him. They had no blocking. They had a rookie quarterback. And he was completely ineffective. He didn't, like, change the team around like a – even like a Saquon Barkley or like someone like an Odell Beckham Jr. at a wide receiver could do. You paid the guy and there's just only so much he could do, Right. And then Gurley, he's probably never going to play a full season again. And when you look at all the games Gurley missed at the end of the year for the Rams, they put in a fat guy. <laughs> and they did just as well. Their running numbers actually went up. So you look at the, the Steelers and the Rams with pretty much – actually, there's a tweet here by Warren Sharp, our guy, the, the master of analytics. He's, he writes a big football book every year. We shout him out a lot on this show. He is – very much worth the Twitter follow, but he wrote on one of his threads here, literally the two most elite backs in the game, Bell and Gurley, had to be replaced in 2018, and the run game didn't suffer. In fact, the run game was, gasp, more productive in 2018 with their absence. So that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, I feel like it's fairly obvious. You know, I think people, you can see how teams feel about this by the way they're paying running backs. As you know, as soon as teams started to trend towards you know, uh, you know, splitting carries amongst running backs, the position has been devalued, but you only have so much money to spend, you know, and I'm such a proponent of, if it were me, I'd sink that money in the offensive line. Uh, yeah. you know, cause I think a, a great offensive line, you see with your Steelers, like can make a solid running back into a very good one. Right. Um, and I can't, I, I can't believe that this isn't just going to be a car wreck for, for Gordon. If you look, right. but one interesting thing is, he has the second most touches in football since 2015 among running backs behind Gurley. So he, mm-hmm. he has a lot of uh, wear on the treads. And his numbers aren't spectacular, even though he had a bump up last year. But it just seems like this is um, – I think Le'Veon won, maybe didn't win, but tied, right? I mean, he could have probably gotten more right. money with the Steelers. It just wasn't guaranteed, but it was virtually guaranteed. Right. I just can't see Gordon um, doing better than – what he would if he just shows up and negotiates a typical running back contract. So that's a great point. I think I'll, I think there are two big like timing factors that go into this. Here's one negative aspect of the timing for Gordon is the NFL wide, you know, situations with running backs over the past few years that we just outlined. The NFL has been wondering about paying running backs. Then a couple marquee guys have gotten paid over the last few years, and we've seen the results have not been worth it. When you talk Bell, when you talk about Gurley or Johnson or McCoy, who was another one whose numbers dropped, Freeman, who missed the whole season. So from that standpoint, I think you're right, Dad, about the open market and his leverage just being small because people have realized, like, it's just not a safe bet. But the one thing that he does have going for him from timing-wise is the Chargers are in 
an absolute window right yeah. now. This is this might be the best team they've ever had, aside from the one where they went all the way to the championship game with Ladanian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates. But this team is even more well-rounded. They're probably the most well-rounded roster in the entire league. They got really hot last year. And Gordon, he is like their Le'Veon Bell. I mean, it's like we said, like we're not saying that all running backs are equal. It's just there's like a law of diminishing returns. Are Bell and Gordon better than Connor and Austin Eckler for sure. But it's almost like, yeah, well, anyways, just staying on track here. They, he's a huge part of the chargers offense and the Steelers lucked out when he didn't play against them this past year. And this, and the chargers offense was crap against Pittsburgh. They got a couple of lucky bounces and you saw how much he meant to them. So from that standpoint, the chargers may just roll the dice to cash in this year to keep their continuity together. How many more games do you think you win? If you had bell, this past year, uh, like t- I'd say, the NFL is tough, man. But I'd say you know two, but that's a huge swing. You know, you'd become you'd be a, at least an eleven win team at that point, uh, if not more. Yeah, I mean, also <laughs> this is this is not really fair to compare because you don't know how the games are going to unfold. But we we love James Conner. Some people accuse me of, of not loving James Conner. That's ridiculous. You should be jailed. Every human loves James Conner. Of course I do. I just try to keep it real about the talent of Le'Veon yeah. Bell. And Conner did fumble in the fourth quarter of two games, which led to points for the other team that we ended up losing or tying those games. So you can look at things like that. You can also look at the fact that Bell is good for two 200-yard dominant games every year that they always end up winning. Yeah, I mean, superstar, but um, I don't know. There's really no way for me to be able to tell that for sure. Because I mean, and Connor was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Would you rather have had Le'Veon Bell or a Pro Bowl kicker? Oh, God. <laughs> a pro, a, 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 a mediocre kicker. Right. I would have said yeah. before. So yeah, I know. If I'm the Chargers, I kind of you know say we'll let you walk. I don't know if they're. I forget what their backup running back situation is like. Austin Eckler, and they drafted a guy Jackson or something in the first round. So it's a pretty soft. Eckler's a real. He's like one of those really good second running back, sort of third down back kind of guy. Yeah. Small, really fast, catches the ball a lot. Probably you haven't seen a lot of success with those guys being the the main load carrier, um, but they have talent. I. <laughs> It's funny because whenever I have this discussion, I'm with you. This is what we're talking about. The, the evidence is just there that it's better to let these guys walk. But I would, my opinion of what they should do is the same opinion I have with Le'Veon Bell uh, or the Steelers. Yeah. Just keep the yeah, the windows perfect. Your 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 odds of winning the Super Bowl, I do feel like, will go up. I just had this number of like ten percent in my mind. You have a guy who never comes on the field. What's you that? pay him. I'd pay him. I'd try and figure something out, maybe a short deal. Just realize that Phillip Rivers is super old and I need all hands on deck because if you get rid of Gordon, like you're, you do get worse, but you just don't get that much worse for the cost. Right. Um, I just want – I'm putting all the chips in for a Super Bowl if I'm the Chargers. And that's what I said the Steelers should have done with Le'Veon last year. Yeah. And they tried to. <laughs> Le'Veon just didn't want to accept no, it. No, that's a good point. That, that probably is the call. You know, they, they do have a short window and – uh you know, the young studs they've drafted, you know, yeah, like Derwin Jones, uh, James in a rookie James, contract yeah. still. So just like the, this, when you have young stud talent on rookie contracts, yeah, I guess you got to go all in. That's what all these teams are doing now. And it's paying dividends. I, I'm with that. And the last thing I'll say here, um, before we probably move on, one thing I was thinking is maybe running backs need to realize that they're 
less in line with like receivers or quarterbacks and more in line with like a great guard because the I, I'm never trying to argue that the running back talent level is even because I do think Bell and Gurley and Johnson are just leaps and bounds above other players. And obviously Saquon Barkley is leaps and bounds above other human beings who have ever walked the planet. But you get a lot of the – I'm not saying that the talent level is even. Um, just the slope of the talent decrease is, is uh, easier to handle than a receiver. Like you can't just plug a receiver in and have him do Antonio Brown's job. It's a trickier job out there on the outside. And the the running back gets the benefit of having the five guys in front of him, the linemen, really help him out. So he's really more part of a unit. And it's funny, like with the excellent guard, they don't get paid like the tackles who have to play the one-on-one. But we all know David DeCastro is our best offensive lineman, and he's super valuable. But Dad and I have had this discussion a lot. You know, the the, the whole, you know, getting to the Super Bowl is highly reliant on injuries, and we've had the the discussion. If you had to lose one position, what would it be? Like, well, probably like guard or or running back because you can plug people in rather than a quarterback or a tackle or a receiver, and you're just screwed because they're in isolation. I'd almost compare him to a slot receiver. Um, you know, like a running back. I'm thinking of, uh, right. uh, you know, just hating the Patriots and watching them. You know, when they got rid of Wes Welker, they plug in a Danny Mendol or not Dan, um, Julian Edelman and Daniel Mendol. It just yeah. seems like uh, it's easy to find some of those quick guys that you can put in the slot, and then and then there are a few very elite ones. Um, and you know why too? It's because all these positions we're talking about with guard, running back, a slot receiver. It's not based on one-on-one matchups like outside receiver is or tackle it's like yeah you do get one-on-one matchups but you also get the benefit of a system or other linemen around you rather than if you're Odell Beckham Jr. a lot of times your job is like Xavier Rhodes is on the other side from you you just have to beat him 20 times today yeah no I'm with you have we solved it should we call Melvin let's call (laughs) Melvin or do you want to call the Chargers Chargers actually we should probably call the Chargers yeah, yeah, right. In 2011, the NFL owners locked out the players for 132 days. The strike ended in, or not the strike, the lockout ended in on July, July 25th. And one of the points of contention is that the owners were pushing for a longer season, if you remember this conversation or this debate. That is back again. The owners are looking to extend the season. I, did they stay 18 games? Yeah. Yeah, so they're looking to push this out to 18 games. So it's just a reminder that the, the contract, the current collective bargaining agreement ends after the 2021 season. They, I guess there are noises obviously getting started to negotiate that now. I remember, yeah, right. I remember with these CBA negotiations, hard to, um, you know, like to, to not blame the players just being greedy for money. You know, I, remember, I just can't remember the ultimate for the Jets was Revis, who was, I think, had two years left in his rookie contract and and held out until he got a new one. And you just you end up hating the players because of it. But then you look at something like this and you're like, man, the owners are probably worse. I, I don't know why you need an extra two games. I think the only argument is money. Uh, I think the fact that you have a limited amount of games, 16 games, is one of the reasons football is so appealing and popular in, in the States because each game matters so much. Um so I don't really know from a fan's – you know, it's two more games, so that's great as a fan. But um, I don't know. I don't think you well, – I'd keep it at, at 16. Why, why 16? Everybody why, would do. 
but why is it 16 and not 14? Right. I mean, you're, well, it used to be 14. The season used to be yeah, 14. Used to be 14. And, and the other question, I guess one of the points is, and of course it's about money. I don't think anybody's hiding yeah. from that, but the arguments that both the players and the owners will benefit. The question is, what about those four preseason games? And we have a podcast wrapped around this, and I can barely get myself to watch these whole things now. That's actually part of the argument is the preseason has gotten so watered down, particularly over the last years, that it is unwatchable. And Roger Goodell has been making comments for the past few years kind of insinuating that. He says, like, you know, these preseason games aren't up to the quality that we are accustomed to putting out at the NFL. And that's one of the reasons why he's going to use that as leverage to say, listen, people aren't watching these things as much anymore. Over the past few years, the trend of of sitting your players – it's really gotten almost out of control. And, I mean, here on the podcast, we're always talking about it. Like, don't play Ben. <laughs> Give him one series. We don't want to see them play. I mean, we lost Marquise Pouncey in the preseason. You lost um, Swisham in the preseason. And uh, entire seasons were compromised because of that. There's really not a lot of benefit. So Goodell is insinuating that you want two higher quality games instead of the lower quality games. But at the same time, one of the strategies they're pitching to get this 18-game season, uh, 18 game season done is there will be a 16-game limit for players. Mm. So you would have to sit everybody for two games a year, and there would be gamesmanship uh, on, on deciding when to sit people or when not to sit people. And I think that's the most hilarious oxymoron you could possibly have so we're gonna have to sit ben roethlisberger and watch josh dobbs for two games throwing to god knows who it because of a rule you're volunteering for that that's lowering the quality intentionally so that's just so dumb for me and it's going to create so many weird situations when you get down into the year with uh, deciding how you know the Patriots will be cheating and say somebody's injured when they're not injured. Oh, we counted it for our two games and people are going to leverage that system. But overall to me that I, it, that's stupid. I don't want to see the people sit. I want to see the best players in the world right. play every week. That's why I don't watch college football that much. That's why I don't watch the AAF. The, on the other hand, with just a little bit of an open mind, since all we're doing is talking about it, we can <laughs> It would be really interesting. You talk about gamesmanship. That's not necessarily a negative. This is fantasy football at its maximum. You think about what it's going to do to betters. First of all, are players going to have to declare who's going to be sitting out and how far in advance? And trying to to, to games to um, plan a game based on a roster, you're not exactly sure who's going to be on the field. It would be really interesting. I that think. is the strategy is is interesting, but I feel like. Um, the only reason they came up with this is probably to fight the glaring hypocrisy of trying to protect the players from concussions and injuries and then pitching an 18 game season. And I think that's the struggle like for me. And I, you know, I have different opinions than I'd say the majority of the populace on um, the stress on these concussions and injuries. But I think if that's the way you're going to go, you can't just sit here and then pitch an 18 game season. The only reason they're doing this strategy gamesmanship thing is because they know that they're they're clear hypocrites, and so they have to you know show uh, that they care somehow about the players, which they don't. Well, if the owners are hypocrites, so are the yeah. players. It's not a secret <laughs> anymore. They still let them play the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who's to blame here? They're playing a game where they will clip. They're clearly at risk for CTE and you know early dementia. 
yet they keep showing up because of the money. Yeah, no, I agree. Right, so, so you're going to make it more and more dangerous? I mean, it's a – here's the thing is that um, it <laughs> – the 18 gate. Oh, actually, I just totally lost my train of thought because I'm so angry about it. The only reason, the only way I could see this being interesting is if we get into a minority report situation where people are stealing other people's faces <laughs> and you think that Juju's actually sitting for two games and like, wow, James Washington's having a great game. Well, guess what? It's Juju in a number 13 But it'll be the Patriots who figure that out. So we're all uh. screwed, anyways. Well, both sides are using different different uh, estimates of injuries. So the player, I'm sorry, the owners say that players who have played at least three games um, in the NFL last 4.2 years, and there were only 2,800 injuries last year that caused players to miss time. You look at the uh, NFLPA, they said that there were 4,000 injuries, and the estimated average career span was 3.3 years. So, you know, these both sides are trying to justify a position based on these so-called statistics. Who knows what's an injury? I mean, you know what an injury, uh, if they lose time, is. But I'll go back to my point. Forget about the hypocrisy. Both sides, uh, the players, I, I, I think I have to lean on them a little bit more because they are the ones getting injured and they're willing to forego money. In other words, they would prefer the 16-game season and forego the money that would be coming their way too if you extend the season to 18 games. You know, if you extend it to 18 games, what might be a good idea to fight that also is to maybe introduce an extra bye week. You'd elongate the season. That's a good point. You know, and then the extra bye week would give players more time to rest. You could, uh, right. you know, could combat uh, a spike in injuries as the season progresses. Um, so that's yeah. a 17 game season then, right? No, 18 games, but they just get an extra, extra. Uh, yeah, week. So you, you know, then that's maybe twenty weeks of football, right? And there, there's a positive to that. I mean, the, the NFL's trying to make the calendar year round. Well, I remember what I was going to say earlier before I lost my train of thought. There, when you were uh, the um, talking about the glaring hypocrisy of, I mean, first off, I don't need numbers to tell you that the it's going to be more dangerous playing more football games against the most athletic, hard hitting humans in the history of humankind. the injuries are going to go up. There's there's no debate there. But uh, the hypocrisy is hilarious to me with all the emphasis on player safety, which I've always said is primarily a function of money because they've had, they took some huge PR hits when the concussion movie came out was the big sort of turning point in all this. And when they started changing more rules, when it was found out that the NFL kept the concussion findings from the players and from the general public. And basically the, the, the punishment the NFL took for that was just just a shrug, literally nothing. And we kept continuing on with this, right? But I've never thought that they're truly in the interest – they're truly interested in protecting players. They're interested in making money and they were going to lose the money because of the PR hit they were taking from um, this all this concussion stuff. You know, healthcare for the rest of your life, that would be more along the lines of being interested in protecting players. But uh, they were trying to pitch this 18-season game around four years ago or more and then the movie came out and then all the other stuff happened and the Kaepernick stuff happened so they actually pushed this under the rug and chilled out on it but they were pushed starting to push really hard for the 18 game season a little while back and it's all just PR related in my opinion I have, I have a solution if you care to hear it yeah do us DT what we're here for game 17 and 18 are flag football <laughs> 
like it. With three Mississippi. <laughs> Do you know, speaking of hypocrisy, do you know anyone who's like Roger Goodell, big fan? Like him. Like him a lot. Great guy. James Harrison. Doing a great job. Yeah, the owners. I mean, I guess you're not supposed to know who the owner is or the uh, the commissioner is of a sporting uh, – any sport. Uh, or you're not supposed to have an opinion on him. But I feel like everyone hates him. The best is that there's NFL drafts when he gets booed. It's the best. Yeah. But because and, – and it is, you know – He's the figurehead for a lot of other people who are making decisions too, but just he is the leader. And if there is one thing you can say that's pretty terrible about him is just the inconsistency. You know, everybody's going to dislike a leader of any operation that big, but just the debacles on the way they punish people and they suspend people when you look at, you know, Ray Rice compared to Tom Brady deflating footballs and and their just total inability to handle any of those situations and right. how tone deaf they are to social issues and they screw that up over and over again. And when they were finally over the Kaepernick thing with the uh, with the with the anthem and everything and then they're so dumb to go make a new rule where you can't kneel about it so you were going to be fine people had stopped kneeling you brought the own problem back to your door so they're definitely a bit bumbling as far as that goes but um yeah anyways i at the end of the day i'm with you pat it, what makes the nfl we talked about what makes football so great and it is the you know having less games and more and each game means more because of that and i know what you're saying dad which along the lines of well why it isn't at 14 or why isn't it 18 but i don't think that there's anything wrong with the way they're doing it now you're introducing a bigger injury risk and i have no interest in seeing two games a year without the starting quarterback of our team that sounds choice but we do have to suffer through a very long offseason, even though they're trying to add these events. It's really hard to get excited about the combine Good. and this kind of thing. So I'll do I'll yeah. what Pat said. Add another bye week or split the season. You know, maybe have an right. entire month off and then drag well, this thing out through that, February. That it doesn't go all year. That's what makes it more special. That's what puts the pressure on. And also keep in mind this. There will be more injuries. And if you get a bye week, it doesn't do anything for a torn ACL, which we're going to see a bunch of them. Because they happen every single week. The playoffs right now are already diluted. The NFL playoffs, I don't think that they're at the top of the list in the pro sports uh, sphere as far as game to game having good games. Like There's a lot of blowouts in the playoffs, and there's a lot of injured people. And so many seasons in the NFL are really decided by who's the healthiest at the very end there. And we saw the Steelers three years in a row get screwed because by the end of their playoffs runs, they had maybe one of the killer bees playing. Everyone was always injured. And you're going to get more of that. You're, it's just science. There's going to be more torn ACLs. There's going to be more uh, broken clavicles or whatever. And you're going to water down the playoffs the, more, the longer you take to get there. So I, don't, I just think that this is actually going to water down a lot of stuff. And it's just there's only one benefit is that – the owners make more money, and I guess the players can make more money uh, on a roll of the dice. I do we like the playoffs. Like, oops, sorry, UT. I, uh, well, I love I'll just, playoffs. The, the playoffs game the game. Even though you do have some bad games, I mean, you look at like the baseball playoffs, and it takes. Well, baseball needs to go. I know it just takes nothing. You have you know the playing game, and then four teams, and so I just it is fun to have the um, the six teams. I think in each conference. Of course, of course. I'm just saying that there, there's a lot of injury and atrophy by that point. And you even saw in the NBA playoffs this year with uh, Golden, like that championship was kind of useless because we didn't really get to see them play against each other uh, at full strength. And that's more what I was talking about. Uh, obviously, the NFL playoffs at the end of the day 
are the best because you want to see who's going to win the Super Bowl and there's so much more pressure and it's one game and you're eliminated. So from that standpoint, they're awesome. But from the standpoint that there's a lot of injuries and when you look at like the NHL or something like that, you, there's it, it just seems like every game is – I don't know. I, I'm rambling on there. Right, we're starting to go in a circle here. Let me ask you this, Nick. What are the chances that the NFL will be playing 18 games I don't know what the chances are. I really don't. But, you know, if I was feeling lucky, I'd bet on it. And I'd bet on it at MyBookie, MyBookie.ag, right? The NFL preseason kicks off with the Hall of Fame game on August 1st. And so soon we'll have that regular season NFL and college football action back in our lives. That means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to man. That's right. I'm talking about MyBookie. Sports betting is exploding in popularity. It's about to be legalized everywhere, too, so you better get in on the action. If you want to get in on that action with a trusted company that's been in business for years, MyBookie is the place for you. With an easy, no-hassle mobile site, 24-7 customer service, and bets on every sport and prop imaginable, MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. Maybe you think Drew Brees and the Saints get their revenge for the terrible blown call in last year's NFL championship. That's part of the copy. By the way, the, the armchair guys, I know they're Saints fans, so I wonder if they had any... Any hand in that. Uh, or maybe you think Tom Brady and the Patriots win an unbelievable seventh Super Bowl. We got to yeah. talk about getting that mind changed out of yeah. our, our version. Of, or, let, me, let me read you that one. Or maybe you think Ben Roethlisberger's and the Steelers win an unbelievable seventh Super Bowl. Why not make money when your prediction comes true? If you deposit today, my bookie will give you 50% deposit bonus. That's right. You put in 100 bucks and they'll give you 50 you put in a thousand, they'll give you five hundred. It's that easy. Football weekends are the best, but they're even more thrilling when every touchdown can win you more money. So go to mybookie.ag and sign up today with promo code Outpost25. At mybookie, you, you play, play, you win, you, win, you, you get, get paid. paid. Hey, listen, last uh, two weeks our episode when we did it at the beach gave me uh, brought back a memory. Do you remember before we were in Rehob- South Rehoboth that we were in that North Beach house? The famous, uh, the famous weekend where there was no window on the boys' room. <laughs> so it, it might have been the Super Bowl. What do you think it was 2008? That would have been 2000. And so it was a summer. I was going into freshman year college. So that was 2003. Whoa, whoa. Okay. Time passes fast. But I remember. I was 13 years old. I was, you, I was about to turn 13 years old. I was you 12. two guys were stuck in a bedroom with no, no curtains, which is the kiss of death for two teenagers or virtual teenagers who need to sleep until 1 p.m. every day. But uh, so there was this sun would come streaming into that bedroom and you guys just cover your head with every, every blanket and pillow in the room. But the most fun part about that week was that I was introduced to uh, blade. So we would, things would settle down at about 11 p.m. I'd see you guys, I'd see you catatonic in the light of the, the television screen. And I don't even know how we got, blade at that time maybe somebody actually had vhs okay well wait hold on hold on it's actually a little bit more formal than that that okay so that summer is the summer where i was going into manhood according to our family because i was going to be a teenager (laughs) and you dad said you brought a couple dvds to the beach saying it's time (laughs) it's time for you to be christened it's like the 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 catholic bar mitzvah if you will of um of the Serena and Medina butcher family here. 
And you said there are a couple movies that you've been telling me for years that I was going to watch when the time was right. And the time was right. So you brought, so, I don't know if I should mention no. them or not. You brought a couple of them. And then Pat brought another one to the fold. He said, this is the greatest movie I've seen in a long time. It's called Blade. <laughs> it's, it's Wesley Snipes. He hunts vampires and it's got great music and it's just the coolest movie ever. So that's how we got introduced to Blade and Blade 2. But it was a formal occasion that you had um, basically set up for uh, me to pass into manhood, if you will. Well, I, I, feel like, I felt like vampires watching Blade because the whole house was asleep. and It was like 10 or 11 or midnight and the three of us were just sitting there with only the TV on watching Wesley Snipes just kill a bunch of vampires. Oh, yeah. The blue yes. glow flickering on our faces. <laughs> so I'm 58, and I think those of you in my in my vintage, I hope you'll agree with these. I mean, I don't think anybody should go through life fat, drunk, and stupid. So Animal House was number one on the list. I think you've got to watch that movie. What, what did you guys think about it? What do you think about it today? Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to tune out there for a minute. Have we officially established here that we're, we're doing a list? We're doing the three. We're all going to give our three essential movies, like coming of age movies to show your son when he's growing up, just like we did that one summer. So number one for you is Animal House, right, Dad? Yeah. Well. Shall I go in my, shall we, are we going to go in order? Each of us give our three or do we want to each give our first, then second and third? Well, do we so Animal House is on mine? I, I would I would agree with with that. I guess I didn't answer your question though. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we do, uh, Dad? You do your three first, and then P Butch, and then I'll do it. We'll go in Look, order age and, and generation here. My top three, and this is one A and one B: Animal House and Caddyshack, and then I added Fast Times at Richmond High. I Not knew we would add Fast Times at Richmond High. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. For multiple reasons, but let, let's face it. I mean, any you know, I can quote Animal House and Caddyshack almost verbatim. I think a lot of people can't even even your age. Just so many good lines from those movies, and I learned so much about life from them as well. None of that stuff in Animal House actually happened in any of my four colleges that I went to. Yeah, well, I went to school in New Orleans, and I can say I'm glad I saw the movie because some of it uh, did prepare me for surprising realities. The lines there. are great. The, the scene where they go visit Dean Warmer and he's reading off their GPAs is incredible. Yeah, <laughs> what is he, Mr. Daniel Day? Has no grade point average. <laughs> Whatever the guy's name was, the redhead <laughs> with the motorcycle. So those are good. They still hold up. They're like – you know, a lot of movies are dated from the way people talk or the way they're filmed and everything like that. But there's the just uh, – Yeah. What was that? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a 250 yards. He's a five iron. That's Caddyshack? I'm going to block his Are you talking about when uh, yeah. he's Caddy hitting Shack. golf balls at the at the uh, Rotsy guys? He's swatting the he, – No. That's uh, I'm I'm on Caddyshack. That's when Bill Murray is swatting the heads off of flowers, talking to himself. I mean, that one is like it's almost artsy in the in the humor. It's almost British, and so and some of the funny subtleties and how it's like there's not really a plot. There's just all these funny little situations and one-liners, especially from Bill Murray. Who I'm pretty sure ad-libbed the entire movie. I, I might be speaking out of no knowledge there, but I, I think he did actually had lived like a tremendous amount of the movie. And it's just, it's got this weirdness and this freshness. You do drugs, Danny, every day. Good, 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 good. 
and and Chevy Chase that that just like that quick wit. Yeah, so that they still hold up today. And uh, yeah, they got some debauchery in them as well, which was pretty cool for me as a 12 year old to get introduced to that. Now I've seen them all those countless times since. It is. I think that's a really good list, UT. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Nick John? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. It, it uh, shaped my life for sure. So they, they'd be on my list as well. But um, I picked three different ones. Uh, P. Butch, why don't you give us your three? So I definitely, uh, on my own, I, I'd agree with Caddyshack and Animal House. And the thing about those, Caddyshack and Animal House are like a Motown song. They're like a, a, a Beatles or Tom Petty. They are movies like those songs that people will be listening or watching for generations. You know, they're passed down from generation to generation. So Animal House and Caddyshack would have to be on there. What's funny is I feel like I found Animal House, I've watched it. Gee, probably over 10 times and only once passed after college because all the times I watched pr- prior to college, hilarious, loved the lines, great movie. And then I watched it after college and I laughed and then I got sad. <laughs> it made me really miss college, but I mean, that's gotta be one of them along with Caddyshack. Um, I don't know why Caddyshack is on the list. Animal House makes sort of sense because it's, you know, it is college that time uh, before you're entering passage. But Caddyshack isn't necessarily that, although I guess Danny, um, the caddy, is uh, is sort of in that stage. Um, and it's funny, I asked my father what his three were, what his top three were, trying to prepare for this podcast. He said those two. And then he said, which shocked me, Karate Kid. <laughs> Dad, we haven't talked about Karate Kid in like 25 years. How did this make the list? And he was like, I don't know. It's just a great movie. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off, baby. I mean, Sweet I don't think I've quoted Karate Kid. It's a good movie. I remember the kick thing, uh, which UT, I love that story of the fight between the football player and the Karate Kid at your college. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Right. You want to tell it? Have you told it on the podcast yet? Well, tell it for any new listeners. <laughs> so there is a uh, there's a guy who played football in high school. That, um, I think he was like a lineman, a defensive lineman. He's a big guy. And there was another – there was a guy from China on our floor who apparently knew karate or some sort of martial art. And these two guys got into it one day and um, decided instead of having a fight right there because we were gentlemen, of course – they decided to meet sort of like when you're in high school, we're going to meet you in the Sears parking lot after school. So a day later, they all, they met in this football field and uh, the football player, you know, the, uh, the, the guy from China gets set, the football player over walked over and punched the Chinese guy in the face. And it was over. <laughs> it's sort of like, remember in Indiana Jones where Harrison Ford's getting chased and it's, he's at the precipice of a cliff and that guy pulls out two cutlasses and he waves them all around. And then Indiana John just pulls his pistol out and shoots him. <laughs> it's the perfect analogy right there. So that's what I'm, I'm seeing Ralph Macchio or Macchiato doing his little thing where he lifts both hands up and his foot up. And then just – if this is a real reality, somebody just walks up and just punches him right in the face. Yeah, um, of course. You have no balance. You're on one freaking leg. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, so my dad's the underdog story. And I, I said, well, what, Rocky? Rocky's, I feel like, the underdog story. And as a sports movie, um, I, I feel like it is the sports movie, the underdog sports movie. You know, you have Remember the Titans. Sure. You have um, 
other ones that I can't think of now. You do have other ones. Did, like Ladybugs with Rodney Dangerfield. Horrible movie. I hated that football movie, but you're right. Rocky is like a colloquialism at this point. If that makes any sense. I mean, it's like a, everybody knows who Rocky is. Yeah. That's I mean, it's time, for Rocky, it's time for Rocky, I think to, to sit down. Rocky Balboa was one of the most depressing movies I've ever watched. Um, because he was so, everyone was so old. Um, Stop getting punched in the head. <laughs> Matt, you're talking about the original Rocky, right? I mean, that that I remember seeing that for the first time. It was one of the most inspiring movies. Everybody walked out and started wanting to fight. It was incredible. So I, I think that's a good pick. And, and By the, the way, when you guys were talking about movies like that, I, it made me think Rudy, Rocky, Rudy. Yeah, movie. I, I'm Rocky over Rudy me too. Personally. Yeah, I wouldn't add Rudy to the list. It just sort of Rudy's kind of depressing. The thing with Rudy is like this kid tr- uh, trains his whole life uh, to just play like. Four seconds. One down. And, I, and the thing is, it is a true story. Apparently, Rudy's just like a drunkard. And hangs around it's back then and tries to pick up college girls, which all suck. It's true. It's like the saddest movie. I can't watch that movie. <laughs> but you're right. But 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 we're sort of joking because Rudy was probably the other one when you hear that name, Rudy or Rocky uh, there. But yeah, I like Rocky as a pick. That's a great pick. The one, And then one thing I'd like to add, if there are any listeners out there who uh, have an attachment to the 1969 Amazing Miracle Mets. Baseball was a bigger thing back in the day. I agree with everyone on the podcast that it, it just doesn't interest me anymore. But the movie Frequency is a great father-son movie, and it's sort of a time piece as well. Um, my dad's a massive Mets fan, loved that 69 team. And so I feel like that's one that meant a lot to us. I don't know if cool. that would end in the top three in general. but well, Honorable mention. Honorable mention. Nice. All right. That's uh, some more great picks there. I guess I can roll out my three here. So I tried to use three that are really from my generation. And Pat, you're five years older than me, so we're sort of we're in the same generation, but um, and we have the same references because we've we've made sure of that over the course of our lives. But um, I think that in our family, the list that you guys put out. I mean, that's still what I'm going to show my kid at some point. The kid's watching Caddyshack and Animal House, and they're going to be watching it until the earth burns up in somewhere in outer space. But I picked three that are really representative of sort of my adolescence. And number one is my co-favorite movie of all time. My favorite movie of all time is Blade and Blade 2. <laughs> movies ever made. I consider them one piece of art. One word. Um, I, oh my gosh! I realized neither one of you put Blade on there. Oh, so I guess I got to put it on mine. I I made a list assuming that Blade would go on there because of the the um the the list we made. But well, we know what number one is: Blade and Blade Two. They're a package deal. It's the greatest movie ever made. It's the greatest. We had a our, one time uh, my freshman year of college. I had just met the rest of the guys who are in my band and I play music and run our businesses with and all that. And um, they were having a heated argument over like David Lynch and Wes Anderson and some of the greatest directors and Scorsese and and which was the best movie and which ones were overrated and things were getting heated. And I was just kind of chilling, doing something else, playing guitar in the corner or something like that until I I had had enough and I couldn't take it anymore. And I kept started chiming in here and they're like, ah, the movie's it's boring. Oh, I fell asleep in that. Oh, it sucks. Blah, blah, blah. So they got fed up eventually and said, okay, what's your favorite movie? And without hesitating, no, <laughs> not even a single second pass. He said, Blade. 
incredulous that someone would ask me that question. And the room just erupted, just died of laughter because they're talking about all these art movies. I'm like, yeah, I like the I like the vampire one. You know why? Because I'm a man. Because I'm a man. And uh, they're laughing. I'm saying, what? You don't like Blade? And they all said, no, of course we love Blade. We just didn't. That sort of came out of left field. But honestly, they're the most watchable movies ever. They're done uh, really well in terms of uh, the action sequences are incredible. They know what they are. They're fun action movies. The second one is uh, directed by Benicio Del Toro. So that's got a lot of artsy aspects to it as well. Um, But it is just a movie that I can rewatch over and over again and always have fun with. So I guess that's number – they're all number one. But really number one is Blade and Blade 2 and the co-number one. So number 1A is obviously Anchorman, the seminal movie of my time. <laughs> it goes without saying. Anybody my age – so I'm, I was born in 1990. If you're anywhere around my age, you can quote the whole – the entire movie. I mean don't act like you're not impressed. <laughs> I'm just going to walk the situation off here. It's actually the pleats, the pattern of the pants. I'm taking it back to the – to the pants store right now but anchorman is a movie where there is not a single it's the dumbest smartest best movie of all time there is not a line in there that you won't laugh at like the more you watch the movie and i've probably seen it over 20 times but i haven't seen it in years just because you know it's on a it's on a loop in my head but every line is funny like uh it's your dumb and dumber for me, exactly. Yeah, sure. I'm. I, by the way, very surprised you didn't put Dumb and Dumber on yours. I almost but, did. Yeah, yeah. There are. There's not even a line in Anchorman that is like functional, just to move the characters from one scene to another. Every single sent, word that comes out of anyone's mouth is funny in that movie. So that'd be my one A. And then number three for me is Pineapple Express. Successful. Absolutely. So wow. for me. I'm gonna, my friends in the band that came out in like when I was in high school and that's my other just funniest movie ever. And I think that that, um, movie, you know, you look at these movies and, and I'm listing like comedies and dumb comedies and stuff like that, but undeniable classics, but there's, they're smarter than you, you may think they are right at, at first glance. So pineapple express kind of came out of left field anchorman and Zoolander, they put in this era of comedies that were like extremely silly, like beyond silly, super dumb for the sake of being dumb, but very funny. Pineapple Express has a lot of those moments in there, but they also melded it with like a serious action movie. And Seth Rogen's goal for that movie was to make people actually sort of, you know, emotionally invested in these characters, no matter how ridiculous that the situation was. Whereas Anchorman or Zoolander, you're not really invested in the characters. You're just having fun. And then there's a serious, awesome, like 90s style action movie that's weaved in with it. And then after Pineapple Express, a lot of movies started copying that archetype. And again, it's just line for line is amazing. Are are these your top three movies of all time? Are they top three father son movies or are they both? They're kind of both okay. because um, I, actually I do – I was joking about the artsy movies later, but I do have a lot in my actual top 10 favorite movies. I have a lot more of kind of artsy type of type of deals or there's some more serious ones in there as well. But I wanted to make the list today um, kind of resemble what happened that summer in terms of like you need to show this to your, your kid. You need to know this movie. You need to know these references. And those three are there. Um, and I guess my honorable mention, sort of cheating to him for here, but – those are definitively right. my three. 
And then my uh, no, Blade One and Two are one movie. <laughs> they are the same thing. They're one piece of art. The I thought somebody was going to choose Blade, so the other one I was going to say would have been another double, Kill Bill, One and Two which is Quentin Tarantino, Uma Thurman. And I was going to put that one on intentionally to kind of bridge the gap into, hey, if I was going to so- show my kid um, some movies, I'd also want him to get into some of the great directors of the time. And Kill Bill is a good way to get into Tarantino, who, you know, he's a pop guy. He doesn't make weird stuff, but it's, well, it's weird depending on how you think weird. of it. But highly stylized. And I think it would be important to show your kids some of that so they could go down that rabbit hole. And then maybe from there they could get into Wes Anderson or, or uh, different people like that. So I haven't seen uh, Pineapple Express or the Kill Bills. If I have a son, should I just hand him over to you and you can hand him over? <laughs> give, give me a weekend and uh, I'll take care of it. We'll, we'll plop them down. We'll so take this, their eyes this open. should open a whole Pandora's box. I'm sure everybody has opinions. We started this out. By saying, what are the three shows your son absolutely needs to see and understand before he moves into adulthood? Sort of offer those up in that spirit. And we're looking to get your feedback because we know you have opinions. Uh, So, boys, any final remarks before we get out of here and um, let people talk to us? Yeah. Can my bookie get my tire back? (laughs) I don't know. I, I don't, but I bet you could get it back yourself, honestly, if you try hard enough. And if I were to bet on that, I'd bet on it at mybookie.ag. I'm doing a prop bet. The Juju gets your tire back for you. It's 5,000. You can do it again. Hey, like I said, we'd love to get, hey, Pat, thanks for joining us again. And this, this has been fantastic. We're clearly going to have you back uh, more frequently this season. Always a pleasure, gents. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, P. Butch. Always, so, always a pleasure. And, and everybody who is out there listening, thanks so much for listening uh, to our 100th episode. This really is just the beginning. We have bigger and better things in store for this year. A lot more P. Butch, hopefully some more guests, um, maybe some more content coming out on other platforms and stuff like that. Sorry if uh, this is a long kind of rambly one for you guys, but uh, I think that we hit on some good points here and hopefully you guys enjoyed the extra content on this bonus celebratory 100th episode of the steel men official Steelers outpost podcast. Speaking of other platforms, check us out on Instagram at Steelers outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers outpost. Leave us a note on the website at SteelersOutpost.com or send us an email at Steelers outpost at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay. Bye-bye. Go steel men. Goodbye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 